Grab your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to get right into it. First Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have your Bibles, definitely look on with somebody there next to you. If not, I believe there's even a Bible in front of you, the pew right there if you need one. First Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 53. And as you turn there, we're on a series, a superhero series. And last week, we had Spider-Man show up. How many are Spider-Man fans? You like, love Spider-Man. The week before, we had Iron Man. How many are Iron Man fans? How many ladies are Robert Downey Jr. fans? Yeah, okay, yeah. I knew that was going to happen. Uh, yeah. Here today, part three of our superhero series... Now, next week, I'm actually not going to continue with it. Uh, it's going to be the following week after that because next week we're going to ha actually have a very special guest speaker next Sunday. Pastor Robert Mays will be with us next Sunday morning. So mark your calendars for that. He'll also be with the men on that following Monday night. So we're going to have Pastor Robert back-to-back -back days on Sunday morning and then also on Monday night. So we're just going to have a great, great time. But I will be continuing the series the following week with our last superhero, and that is... Superman. But today, we're going to be getting into this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53, says, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. With the, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Father, remove me. Place your Holy Spirit behind this pulpit. Let he that has an ear, let him hear. I thank you and I praise you. Father, I give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise, Lord God. Minister like you ministered to me. Minister to your people here this morning. In Jesus' name, we all said... Before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, good day, Captain. <laughs> then you may be seated. Captain America. Does anybody know his real name in the comics? What? what? Steve Rogers. Right, yeah, all right. See, we got a few comic books. See, most people didn't know. Everybody knew Iron Man. Not a lot of people knew Captain America. But here today, we've got Captain America, and I want to give you some of his powers. These are some of Captain America's powers, all right? Number one, he looks like Pastor Esteban. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to take at least one Instagram pic. I was going to take at least one. These are Captain America's powers, according to the comic nerds. I don't know how else to say it. 
That's cold, huh? I'm a nerd too. It's all right. It's okay to be nerds. <laughs> Number one, these are a few of his powers. He has awesome agility. He's very agile. He's got a lot of stamina. <laughs> Whoa, I got a real captain here. He's known for having a lot of gadgets. He is an escape artist. He can get out of anything. <laughs> wow, he even got out of my peripherals. That was really good. One of his powers is he's very smart, very intellectual. He has healing power, and he also has very strong leadership. He, uh, his, one of his powers is longevity. He's a very sharp marksman. His, one of his powers is stealth. You don't see him, but he's there. You can't do that one. You already did that. Already did that. <laughs> one of his powers is unarmed combat. He is a weapons master. And then also, this is what it says, one of his powers is he's an attractive male. America, everybody, give it up for Captain America. Thank you for showing up. Thanks, Captain. I'll see you later at my son's birthday. Give it up for Captain America. Come on. <laughs> oh, man. We definitely have some characters in our church, don't we? If you've been here in these past few weeks of the series, you've been seeing how we've been able to talk about the superheroes of the Bible. And when we were here on the first week, we talked about Iron Man, and the best fit that I saw was a man by the name of King David. And we talked about him and about how in order for him to be an Iron Man, somebody had to sharpen him to be a man of iron. And that was Nathan. So that's how he became really an Iron Man. We might not have ever heard of, of David had it not been for somebody to confront him and talk about what he was doing. But because of that, David repented. He said, oh, Lord, forgive me. Give me a pure heart, for you will not despise that. Then last week, if you were here, we talked and we had Spider-Man. And in Spider-Man, we had uh, a man that we saw uh, best fit that type of uh, a life, and that was the life of Joseph. He went through his life through a web of lies. It was lie after lie after lie. But if you were here last week, then you saw that Joseph himself told his very own brothers that sold him into slavery, that put him out, that left him for dead, actually told his brothers over 20 years later, face to face, you didn't do this to me. You didn't put me in prison. You didn't lie about me. God put me here on purpose. That was a powerful time that we had last week. I mean, it was just a brokenness that we felt. Here today, I find the same parallel that I believe as I read this man's life story, and that is the life of Moses. Moses. Moses is the life that I see Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, best parallels that life. Moses was a man whose life we see in a fishbowl. Due to his story being written from the time he was born all the way to the very day of his death. 
He was a Hebrew boy turned Egyptian, from slave turned to prince. Then from his circumstances as an Egyptian came back to free the exact people he was already freed from. He seemed like an accident waiting to happen at any moment. However, he lived a life of purpose beyond any person's dreams. See, when you read the life of Moses, you will find that there are no accidents with God. There are no accidents with God. God's plan for Moses was a long and strenuous one, but nevertheless, it was God's plan. See, sometimes we need to understand something. Even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of our tribulations, we always know that we're going through something. And we say it's God's will, but you always have to remember something. Don't put the trials over God's will. Don't put the tribulations and the circumstances over God's plan. You are still in God's plan. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, you're still in God's will. You need to be reminded of that every so often because a lot of times we always figure whenever something bad happens, oh, I'm out of God's will. We always figure, oh, I'm not getting it or, 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 or they're doing this in the ministry or that person, they're elevating it. I must not be in God's will. How come my marriage is on the rocks and theirs is so great? I've been married longer than they have. I don't understand it. Listen, you need to know something here this morning. You're still in God's will. It may be a rough run. It may be a tough one. Maybe some of you are even in the midst of right now seems like a divorce is happening within your marriage. Now, it's not on paper yet, but it's in your spirit. I want you to know something. You're still in God's will. It's okay. I know it may feel like that. I know it may feel like your kids want to divorce you, like your kids want to run away from you, like your kids want nothing to do with you. But I want you to know something. It's okay. God still has a plan for you. He's always had a plan for you. It may seem rough, and it may seem like you're in a desert, but I want you to know something. You're still in God's will. You're still in God's plan. Tell your neighbor one more time, you're still in God's plan. I like the scripture in Psalms chapter 139, verse 13. It says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Who in the world says that? That sounds like a perfect woman scripture if I've ever heard one in my life. Don't look at me like that, women. You know that you're very complex. But this scripture tells you, hey, I'm wonderfully made complex. So if ever your husband is looking at you, man, I don't understand you. Just say, well, you know what? It's okay. God understands me and God made me this way. No, I don't know. Whatever you got to do. That's what the scripture. You made me wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out. Every, uh, before a single day had passed, how precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumbered the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. That's Psalms chapter 139, a powerful, powerful psalm that talks about how God knew exactly what he was doing with each and every one of us even before we were ever born. I shared this last week about how St. Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, if heaven made him, earth can find some use for him. And listen, here this morning, you need to know this. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. 
You have a purpose. As we look at the life of Moses, I want to just real quickly give you some of the accomplishments that we see of a Captain Moses, if you will, a deliverer Moses. Captain America had a lot of accomplishments, but I want to share with you some of Moses' accomplishments. Moses' birth changed the history of the Hebrew people. Moses fled to the desert for 40 years and even got married in the desert. Moses got the burning bush experience, but literally he got the burning bush experience. We always talk about that experience. He was the one that actually got that and encountered the burning bush. He came back after the desert and even dropped a few plagues on his old friends. That's what happened with Moses. He made water turn into blood. He had a few locusts come out of seemingly nowhere. He made fire come from the sky. He made darkness cover a nation. You know, just kind of your normal everyday plagues, you know, kind of some of the things that Moses was able to do. Then when he was also able to get a few million people to get all their stuff together, he took them on a 40-year road trip. Pretty cool, huh? In this road trip, in this 40-year road trip, he splits a whole sea in half. Who does that? He even finds the Ten Commandments. He even breaks the Ten Commandments on the children of Israel's impatient idols. He makes water come from a rock and even makes food come from the sky. Moses is even the human instrument in the creation of the nation of Israel by commuting, uh, communicating to it the Torah. There's even a verse dedicated to saying how humble Moses was. I believe it's in Numbers chapter 12. The Bible says that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Can you imagine that? Oh, I'm, I'm so humble. I know. I just read it in the Bible. That's what it says. I'm so humble. Can you imagine a whole verse and even a few chapters dedicated to how humble you are? But as we read later, Moses didn't always believe the press reports about him. Not always. But nevertheless, that's what God called him. The most humble man on the face of the earth. So as we look at the life of Moses, what is so great about him? Not much greatness comes from a man with a speech problem. I mean, whether he had a speech impediment or he was just shy of an audience, he wasn't exactly a person made for the stage. He was a failure who wasn't a prime candidate to be a deliverer or even a leader for that matter. I mean, what's so special about a prince who didn't even want to be a prince and left the palace to be a slave? Why not just forget about a slave? He was a low-class citizen with a head trip who saw and heard voices. I mean, think about it. A man hears voices from a bush that's on fire. Some of you had to take drugs to get that experience. You're the perfect candidate to be a Moses. See, some of you are like, I knew I took LSD for a reason. Yeah. You had your desert experience, but now you're going to experience God in that desert. As we look at the life of Moses, we learn, qu real quickly, I want to just give you a synopsis of Moses really fast and the life of him so, to set the stage of where we're going to go here this morning. Are you, are you guys getting something here this morning? Okay. We learned that Moses was born 
to Amram, who was his father, who was a Levite, and then also Joshebed, who was his mother, who was also a Levite. He had an older brother, Aaron, who we read about later in the story, and an older sister, Miriam. Such a historical life that the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch, or the book of the law, or the book of Moses. Moses, when you read his life, he had a very jaw-dropping life. We learn about Moses, the prince. We learn about Moses, the murderer. We learn about Moses, the man of the desert. We learn about Moses, the deliverer of the Israelites. And we even learn about Moses, the hydrologist. I'm going to take some time for you guys to get that one. Hydrologist is a study of water. He splits water. All right, you guys will get it later. We learn about how 40 years with Pharaoh, he was in Egypt. 40 years with God, he was in the desert. And 40 years with the Hebrews in the wilderness. We even learn about Moses, the man who did not start his life's calling. Listen to me. This is where we're going to land here. He didn't start his life's calling until he was 80 years old. Then did some things that most people would just normally get a slap on the wrist for not listening. But for him, he wasn't able to inherit this promised land due to his lack of listening skills. D.L. Moody said this about Moses. He said, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was a somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. He spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. It was a seasonal process. Some of you right now need to understand something. You are in a season right now. I don't know what season you're in. If you're in the first 40, if you're in the mid 40, or if you're in the latter 40. But you need to know something. God is doing something in your life no matter what season you are in. God was always doing something with Moses in his first 40, whether he's seen it or not. He definitely imparted something inside of him when he was in his middle 40. And he used him greatly. And it wasn't until later in his life where he was used mightily. In his latter 40. You got to understand something here this morning, church, is that your promises of tomorrow are being written by your struggles of today. Through each and every life that we've seen, whether it's David in your song of tomorrow, whether it's Joseph in your dreams of tomorrow, or whether it's Moses in your promises of tomorrow, each and every one of them of your promises of tomorrow are being written by your struggles of today. Don't think for a second that what you're going through right now has no meaning and has no purpose. It has purpose and it has meaning, but it's just being able to say, God, I want to hear your voice in the midst of this desert. Some of you right now, you're in a dry place. It's okay. Now God can wipe out everything around you just so you can hear him clearly. No matter what experience you're going through, Moses, I believe, can fit some characteristics within your life. Now, the story of Moses and Pharaoh is a very popular one. Moses himself is a very popular character in the Bible that even those who don't attend church have probably seen his cartoon, right? The Prince of Egypt. Many people even still to this day make jokes about it. You'll see whenever I'm on the social network, I see a lot of different jokes. I've seen, uh, uh, you know, uh, baby Moses. He was there fishing, and he had the water split as he was fishing as a little baby. And one of the guys like, quit it, Moses. You know, I mean, there's just... There's always jokes, you know, everybody knows about Moses, how he split the sea, how millions of people crossed through. He was a deliverer. He got the Ten Commandments. The the story of Moses is a very popular one. We know about the Ten Plagues. We know about the Ten Commandments. It is the immense conviction and even fundamentals of our faith. 
And yet these stories are still being written to this day about how important these commandments really are within our society. However, the great life of Moses is not one for me to get into today. I don't want to get into the life of Moses as I do want to get into the death of Moses. Through his death, I believe we are going to see our lives. We don't talk a lot about the death of Moses. But here this morning, I, I, I really see some very important life lessons as we see the death of Moses. And especially for those of you that we want to say are seasoned in the faith, or maybe you're seasoned in age, you have a lot of experience under your belt, and you figure, well, I've already done my time. I want you to know something. As we read this life of Moses, you're going to realize my time has not yet come. I still got a lot of energy left in me. I still got a lot of purpose and a lot of promise left in me. Listen, don't think for a second just because you're 60 years old, 70 years old, 80 years old, or touching 90 years old. Don't think for a second you're done because you are not done. Tell your neighbor, you ain't done yet. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 34. And we're going to see right now within this. We're going to read a few verses, and I believe you're going to really get something out of this as we really study this that really ministered to me, and I pray ministers to you here this morning. And even for those of you that are listening on podcast, that you would follow along with your Bibles in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo. Everybody say Mount Nebo. Then it says, from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea. The Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar, then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite of Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. How long? 30. Until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his officials, and to his whole land? For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Wow. 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 As we look at the life of Moses, it is a very intriguing one a very intricate one a very detailed one but the the death of Moses is a very powerful one a very long obituary if you will 
a long one that we talk about that many times that he has a whole chapter dedicated to it. If you were to go to a tombstone right now, it'll have a man's or woman's name. It'll have his date and maybe a saying or two that will talk about this man's or this woman's life. There's a whole chapter dedicated to the death of this man that talks about how powerful he was. Matter of fact, the Bible says that when he died, the children of Israel mourned for 30 days. Now, if somebody passes away in your family, much like mine, you will mourn, will you not? You will cry, you will grieve for actually a long time. Matter of fact, I remember crying for my father for about two weeks straight, almost just about. I had a lot of times of just crying and tears. The Bible says that of Moses, the whole nation mourned for 30 days straight. Not his family, not his friends, the whole nation. That's powerful. That is an impacting life. We're not just your friends and not just your family, but a whole nation will mourn over your life. That's a powerful life. That is a very, very awesome and dynamic life. Henry Van Dyke said, some people are so afraid to die that they never begin to live. Here we see a man that was not afraid to die. He knew that his consequences should have had him died right away when he killed that Egyptian. God should have just struck him down right then. So you don't do that stuff. That should never happen, but God waited. God, when he was disobedient and didn't listen, you would have think, okay, right away, I'm going to snatch him up in front of the people because he hit the rock. He didn't listen to me. I told him he shouldn't have did that. I'll just take him right now. Why'd you do that? But nevertheless, Moses understood this, and that's why he was able to fully live because he was not afraid to die. Here as a tombstone in Deuteronomy chapter 34, we see a, a, an obituary or a tombstone that absolutely just takes the cake. The Bible says that Moses went to Mount Nebo. Now, in Mount Nebo, as I studied this, Mount Nebo, the summit of it was 4,500 feet. Now, to put it in perspective, Mount Nebo, 4,500 feet. The other day, I went with some of the youth. We went to Missions Peak in Fremont. Has anybody ever climbed that before? Right? How many have climbed Mission Peak before? Raise your hand. Okay, so a few of you. Right? And so you know the trick. That goes up there. Mission Peak is 2,500 feet. That's it. I climbed Table Mountain in Cape Town when I was there in South Africa. Cape Town, South Africa, I climbed it. Man, that was a trek and a half. That is 3,500 feet. Now, if you've ever been on a hike to like Missions Peak or anything like that, when you get to the top, be honest. Don't you feel like you're going to die? Now, I'm still young. I'm only 34 years old. So I went just a couple of months ago. I was still 34. Man, I was looking at this one kid. Uh, I forgot his name. He, he went in flip-flops. This kid went in flip-flops because they just told him, let's go. He's like, where are we going? We're going on a hike. All right. He had jeans and flip-flops. I was in my running shoes. I had shorts on. I was like, yeah, let's do this, man. I'm going to teach these younger, youngsters a lesson. All right, let's go. And so we're walking, and uh, finally about halfway, I'm like, hey, you guys, hold up, hold up, hold up, you guys. <sighs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just praying right now. I'm just praying. Oh, you guys never had a prayer break? What's wrong with you guys? Come on. Hallelujah. No, no, just go ahead. Go ahead. Just go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. The Lord's speaking to me right now. 
That was 2,500 feet. Moses went to a mountain at 120 years old that was 4,500 feet. Are you seeing the perspective now? 4,500 feet. I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I'd have been following Moses. I'd have been like, Moses, you're the man. But I know God's up there, but God's also down here too, brother. God's everywhere. Can't we take advantage of that? Yeah. Now, if you've ever climbed a mountain before, you know that feeling of what it feel like to want to die. Moses knew that probably this was going to be his last climb ever. The last climb he was ever going to make. Death was right in front of him, and he knew it. See, here we see Moses alone, and he was about to pass away. Now, notice I said he was alone. He wasn't lonely. There is a difference between alone and being lonely. See, loneliness suggests an empty longing or reaching in vain for someone else. But aloneness means nobody else goes along. Moses was alone. alone. He was on a solo voyage. He had been doing all the journeys, been doing all the adventures, been doing all the treks. But in his death, he knew that when I was born, I came in with nothing. And when I die... I'm leaving with nothing. We see the observation of Moses understanding that he was alone, but he was not lonely. See, we live in a day and age, if we're honest, that we are, we are strangers to being alone, are we not? We're, we're strangers right now. Matter of fact, some of you right now are in church listening to me, but you're waiting for a text from your friend. Because we don't like to be alone. We need a text. I need somebody call me. I'm on Facebook sometimes, and when I'm studying, I study late at night. And every once in a while, I'll take a Facebook break. And when I get on a Facebook break, I'll check it out, and I see it for myself. I follow a lot of young people, and you'll see it's like 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning, and they're, all they post is, somebody message me. Somebody text me. That's the generation we live in. We have faxes. We have emails. We have cell phones. We have televisions. We have restaurants. We have theme parks. We wait in line for restaurants. We wait in line for theme parks. We, we, we're not used to being alone. We don't like being alone. We, we just don't like it. And if we're very honest, those of us in here, we don't like being alone either. We just don't like it. Matter of fact, if you're like me, I, lo- I know some people, they, they don't like the city. I love the city. I like San Francisco. Out there, I mean, it's just boom, boom, you know, they're hugging, hey, what are you, whoop, beep, you know, there's a, you know, that's not a horn, that's a mouth, you know, beep. <laughs> people walk, you see people walking down the street, <laughs> don't lie, you know you see those people in the city, don't you? You're like, who are they talking to? I don't know, they're talking to God. Are you sure? I, I like it, though. I like being around all that stuff. I like being, it's just like, man. It, and so if I'm honest, forget even talking about you. If I'm honest, I would probably have a very hard time being alone. I don't like it. I mean, if I'm in my house, the other day I was in my house by myself. My wife went to Santa Cruz. All my kids were gone. I didn't know what to do. I'm being very honest. I was locking doors I didn't even know I had. Don't look at me like that. You had done the same thing. It's scary being alone. And then it's very scary being alone in the dark. 
My wife stood with her, uh, her grandmother. She's getting up there in age, so she stood overnight with her. So I was sleeping by myself in, in, in my room. And so I was like, you know, I, I, had, I was already done watching TV. I'm, I'm sleeping there, and I was like, you know, I, I hear all these noises now. I hear, all, I hear everything now. And if you know me, I can sleep through anything. I really can. I can sleep through anything if my wife is there. But she's not there. I was like, oh, my gosh, what's that? <laughs> like, I, I hear the movie in my head. Father, in the name of Jesus. It's not a feeling we're used to. It's just not. It's not a feeling that we're accustomed to. So the feeling of being alone is a very difficult one. But nevertheless, Moses understood that this was his time to be alone. I have to do this. This is something I have to do. See, Moses was secure and being alone. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 34 that Moses died according to the word of the Lord. See, God not only knows our beginnings, he not only knows our starts, but he knows our finishes. See, it's being secure in the fact that God has given you this life, but also he's given you a death. See, we don't like to talk about death a lot. Let's talk about abundant living, abundant life. Yeah, but some of us, many times, we don't live because we're not secure in our death. See, you need to be secure in knowing that God gave you an appointed time to breathe, and he gave you an appointed time to breathe your last breath. You need to stop worrying about your death. Some of you are so caught up. In, how am I going to die? I don't know about that. So I go off a bridge? Is, gonna, is that how it's going to happen? Is the car going to come? I don't know. I mean, some of you, you're even so scared to cross the street sometimes. Because, and so some of you think, well, that's not a big deal. It is a big deal because you're not really living your life to the fullest. Because you're so scared about how you're going to die. See, Moses understood this and Moses was secure in his death. He says, look, when the time comes, I'll be ready. Until then, I'm going to work and I'm going to go for it until I breathe my last breath. This was very important. Being secure and not just alive, but being secure in his death. Mark Twain said, the fear of death follows from the fear of life. A man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. The Bible says that Moses, his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. In other words, Moses never sat around. He always kept moving. All the way to the very end, he made every effort count. Even till his last breath, the Bible says that he wasn't weak. He wasn't a feeble man. He was always moving, always doing something. Listen to me. Some of you here this morning, you need to stop living as if you're already dead. Some of you, you, you are living. Can, can I talk to you like this? Is this all right? This is very important that we understand this from the life of Moses because Moses, we talk about him in his life, uh, in his life a lot, but we don't talk about how secure he was in his death. See, he was very secure. That's why he always kept moving. Now, for those of you that say, well, I think pastor's talking about those who are up there in age. No, I'm talking about to those of you that are just living and you're just thinking, well, it's no big deal. I'll wait to accept Christ. I'll wait to do things for Christ later on in my life. No, Moses always took advantage of every moment he had to live it for Christ or to live it for God. 
He took advantage of every moment. So for those of you that are young right now, you're in your teenagers or you're in your 20s, and you're thinking, I got my whole life ahead of me. Moses understood this, but he used every single moment that he could until he breathed his last breath. He used every single energy, every single effort until the Lord took him. Jim Elliott said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt. Every situation you believe to be the will of God. In other words, if you are in school, be in school. If you are in business, be in business. If you're having a baby, have a shower. Go for it. Party on. Do whatever you got to do. Party on, dude. In other words, be all there. If your son or daughter is getting married, let them go and continue to live your life. I know that's hard for some of you to think. Like, no, that's my baby. No, 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 no. That's God's baby. They just let, he just let you borrow them for the time being until the season came. Then you got to learn to let them go. See, Moses understood this. He didn't wait around. He didn't wait for this. He said, no, no, no. I'm going to work while the, the, the day is still light. I'm going to keep going. While you have the light, the Bible says, believe. While the light is there, keep working, keep moving. And Moses understood this. He was not weak and he was not feeble. When you climb a 4,500-foot mountain, believe me, you cannot be weak. You can't be. There has to be a strength about you. See, some of you right now, you're going through a trial and you're going through a tribulation and you're wondering, why am I going through this? Why is this upon my shoulder? You know why it's upon your shoulder? It's because your shoulders are being worked out right now. Trying to get you stronger for when you become 50 years old and you become 60 years old. You get a little bit wiser. See, some of you, many times when you pray, you say, God, take this away. But then at the same time, you contradict yourself and say, God, give me peace and strength. And he's like, wait a second. I'm trying to give you peace and strength, but I gave you that trial to give you peace and strength. I don't understand it. Why? Do because listen. Watch yourself in your contradictory prayers. And if you're honest, like me, I've probably done the same thing. God, make me a soldier. God, make me a warrior. But God, get this person out of my life. What's wrong with them? I think God, maybe just to me, God speaks to me maybe the way I speak. I think God probably looks at my prayers sometimes and goes, shut up. Like, are you listening to yourself? See, some of us here this morning, we need to understand something. Not just being secure in the life that God has given you with the breath that you're breathing right now, but also being secure and knowing that, listen, God gave you that life, but he also gave you an appointed time to die as well. Stop worrying about it. Know that God is in control. In other words, stop dimming your eyes and weakening your energy. Be there. If you are here, be present. Listen, it's very important that when you come to church, might as well for the next few moments just engage in what God is giving you. I mean, you might as well. If you were going to go pray for somebody, pray for somebody. Like, have you ever done this? Like somebody actually told you, like, hey, uh, you know, I'm really going through something. Can you pray for me? You go, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. You walk away. What happens? You don't pray for them. Right? We're honest. Well, I, I know I've made it a point. Every time, I get a lot of text messages from you guys all the time, and I want you to know something. I do my best. I don't want to say 100% because that would probably be an error if I said that. But 90%, 99%, the text messages that I get, the phone calls that I get, when, when you ask, hey, pastor, can you pray for me? Whether I do it right there on the phone or when I hang up, 
uh, most of the time I will stop and I will pray for just at least a good 30 seconds, a minute, whatever it might be, and I pray. Because if I'm going to say that I'm going to pray for you, I should probably pray for you. If I say I'm going to be there, I should probably be there. See, listen, you have this one life for a purpose. So you might as well be there, engage there. Just don't wait for that to happen. Know that the trial that you're going through is building you up for a reason and for a purpose. I heard my father one time talk about retirement, and I'll never forget this. And I don't know if he came up with it or somebody else came up with it, but he said, I will never retire, but I will always refire. So, ooh. I think I was like 20 years old when I heard that. I go, ooh, come on now. I remember that. I'll write that down, and one day I'm going to use it. 14 years later, I'm using it today. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Because it's this retirement attitude that kind of has the perspective of many of us thinking in a, a skewed way. In other words, that retirement uh, almost somehow, some way has gotten many of us to think, all I got to do is reach this point and then I'm good. All I have to do is get to this level and then I could just kind of level off. But I want you to know something here this morning. My friend, the retirement, you need to kind of throw that out of your head. I'm going to explain it right now because I know some of you are going, oh, my gosh, Pastor said no retirement. No, no, no. I'm not talking about paperwork. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm going to explain it right now. But some of you right now, within your mindset, you got to get that retirement out of your mindset. Not paperwork. I'm talking about within who you are in your being as a human being. Remember, we're not human doings. We are human beings. So who you are, who you are, it's the attitude. Do you know that the book of Titus talks about how the women, that they are called, the older women in the church, read it for yourself, Titus chapter 2, talks about how the women, the older women of the church, their ministry is to teach and urge, that's what the Bible says, urge the younger women in their ministry. That's what you're supposed to do. Your ministry is to teach and urge the younger women of the church. In other words, the veterans of the faith need to teach the amateurs of the faith. That's a part of your life. It's not supposed to be, well, I've been here for a while. It's, oh, that's so good for her. Look, she's doing that. I did that about a good 10 years ago. I remember my first time. See, see that's that retirement thing. I'm retired. I did that already. Um, I'm done with that. You know the, the lie that many times we believe in the church is we believe in this retirement type of attitude. And we believe that because most of us, we believe that we've outlived our usefulness and that no longer can we relate to a younger generation. But I want you to know something. Listen to me, those of you that are older or veterans of the faith. It's very important for the younger generation to talk to those that have seen God face to face. Are you hearing me? It's very important for those in the amateur, those that are coming, those that are just kind of uh, newborn Christians, that they want to see God face to face. But in order for them to see God face to face, the first face they're going to see is yours. That's what they're going to see first. So for those of you that think, oh, we'll just let the younger girls do it, let the younger men do it. Oh, these guys, oh, look at these guys. They're so good. That's why I have no problem many times. I, I, I know the, the other day we were putting some stuff together and, you know, fixing some things, moving some chairs, moving some tables. And so we were doing some things, and one of the guys goes, Pastor, you shouldn't do that. I go, why not? Well, I, I couldn't move a table. I'm Captain America. No, I'm just kidding. 
I go, you know, I got some guns. Come on, man. I could do this. Right, Mikey? You could tell, right? I just want to throw that in there. I just want to make sure. Okay. I can still do that. I'm, dude, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm retired. I'm not retired from doing any work. The only thing I ever do right here. Matter of fact, for those of you who want to become a pastor, I just want you to know this. Just FYI. It's not on my notes. Side note. Those of you that think, man, one day I'm going to come up there and I'm going to preach like pastor. I'm going to be able to do this like pastor. I'm going to get a microphone that looks like a pimple on his face like pastor. I'm going to do this just like pastor. Oh, man, it's going to be great. I'm going to get a suit just like pastor. I'm going to get a wife just like pastor. Oh, man, it's going to be awesome. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to do all that just like pastor. I want you to know something. This is less than 5% of my ministry. It really is. Less than, well, maybe about 5%. I don't know. Good. The other part of the percentage of that is a lot of study. That's a lot of this. About 5%. It's not a whole lot. A lot of this has to do with off the pulpit. It's right here. This is going over here, doing all this stuff. So for those of you that are just looking at this, no, listen, my friend. The only reason why I'm ready to get refired is because there is a fire first. There is first, in order to be refreshed, you first must be freshed. In order to be refired, you must first have a fire. In order for there to be a revival, there must first be an alive inside of you. There has to be something there. So listen to me. So those of you that are veterans of the faith say, well, I used to do that way back when. I used to be a part of that. And you've got all these stories. Listen to me. It's very important. Now is the time to start writing some new stories. Start getting some new refire. Start getting some new refreshing. Start getting some new revival and teaching these young people, teaching these young ones and say, hey, come along. I know you're going through it in your marriage. I've been there. I've done that. Let me bring you along and let me show you, hey, if I can make it, you can make it. If I can be there, you can be there. We're in this together. Look at your neighbor and say, we're in this together. Three secrets really quick. Real fast, I'm just going to give them to you and then we're done. Three secrets from the story of Moses' death that we're looking at. Number one, fulfillment in life is involvement. Fulfillment in life is involvement. One of the worst curses is the curse of the retirement attitude. Now listen to me. It's the attitude. I'm not talking about the paperwork. It's the attitude. Well, I know some of you, you are retired. But listen. You can be retired from work on earth, but you're never retired from working for heaven. Are you hearing me? You can be retired from work on earth, but you're never retired for work for heaven. As long as you're breathing, what can I do for God? What can I do for God? It's the attitude. It's that retirement attitude that puts a sign on the door that says, do not disturb. Don't bother me. I'm done. Listen to me. If you have that kind of a, a happening, you need to throw that out. R.C. Sheriff said this. He said, when a man retires and time is no longer a matter of urgent importance, his colleagues generally present him with a watch. I thought that was pretty funny. Mary Brownsworth said, I've been attending a lot of seminars in my retirement. They're all called naps. <laughs> Ella Harris said this. A retired husband is often a wife's full-time job. <laughs> Listen, getting involved lengthens the meaning and purpose of life. It gives you length. It gives you purpose. See, my friend, the purpose of life is a life filled with purpose. I know you may think, well, one day I'm going to get to that level and then I'm going to retire. No, my friend, continue to work while the light is still here. Number two. Reality in life is humility. 
humility. If involvement gives length, then humility gives breath. If involvement gives length, then humility gives breath. See, Moses never believed, like I said earlier, his very own press reports. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2, if you're taking notes, says, Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth. An outsider and not your own lips. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Humility gives breath to your life. Learn what it is to be humble. Learn what it is to let others praise you. Listen, my friend, I heard somebody once say, when you toot your own horn, it's always out of tune. It's the truth. Because when you do it yourself, oh, look what I can do. Well, I did this and I did that. Isn't that like, there's like a certain stench that comes in the air when somebody's filled with pride, right? It's just like, you could just sense it. You, I mean, it's one of those, like, you know what pride is? Pride is one of those things that we call I can't put my finger on it. That's what pride is. Pride is the I can't put my finger on it type of attitude. Because there's no action happening, but it's their being. It's who they are. You could just sense, like, man, what is it? Listen, it's very important from the life of Moses and even from the death of Moses, we understand that humility gives that breath. Be humble. Listen, it's okay every once in a while if you want to go on a diet and just eat humble pie. It's fine. You have to have that. Matter of fact, it should be in your daily diet to have humble pie. You need it. Some of you say, man, I just got embarrassed the other day. No, you didn't get embarrassed. You probably just got humbled. You just got humbled. Why'd that happen? And see, we we do this a lot. We do this a lot. She shouldn't have said that about me. He shouldn't have. Man, he should have just came to my face. I'm embarrassed now. Well, it's okay. Every once in a while, it's good to have humble pie. It's all right. Believe me, we don't like it. Nobody likes it, but it's good for you. It's good for you. Don't worry about it. God will take care of them, whoever them is, whoever they are. Don't try to get vengeance. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Don't try to get revenge. Don't try to avenge yourself. Everybody's trying to be the great avenger. Don't worry about that. Don't worry. If you want to be a true Captain America, be humble. Be humble in your stature and in your position. And thirdly and lastly is that happiness in life is perspective. As it comes to the piano here, happiness in life is perspective. Just the piano, not the team, just the piano. If involvement gives life length and humility gives life breath, listen to me, then perspective gives life depth. Perspective gives life depth. Quick little story of a man who checked into a hotel for the very first time in his life, and he went up into his room. Five minutes later, he called down to the reception desk and said, you've given me a room with no exit. How do I leave? So the receptionist said, sir, that's absurd. Have you looked for a door? The man said, of course. Where there's one door here that leads to the bathroom, there's a second door here that goes into a closet, And there's another door I haven't tried, but it has a do not disturb sign on it. A little humorous, a little funny. 
But a lot of times it's very true of our lives. Things that we do. That we do not want to go into that door because we don't want to disturb what we don't know. Now, I know a lot of times we, in the perspective of this, of the hotel room, well, right away we know that, of course, you know, just open that door. That's where you came in. But a lot of times with us, we put signs on doors that we don't want to go through. We put signs on doors. Don't disturb. Oh, okay, I'll just leave that alone. Oh, don't mess with that here. Christianity is perspective. My father used to always say that. Christianity is perspective. Many people see the glass half empty. Many people see the glass half full. Many people see half the Holy Spirit in church. Many people see full of the Holy Spirit in church. Some, of, some people see my marriage is on, is on the rocks. And some people see my marriage is on the rock. People see things differently. It's whatever it might be within your life. So it's very important that you understand that the happiness that you're looking for is not the situation that's in front of you, but it's the attitude that's inside of you. Are you hearing me this morning? The perspective of how you're looking at it. See, some of you right now, let's just take, for example, those of you in the home thinking, man, my probation officer put me here. Man, the judge put me here. Or you can have the perspective of Joseph and say, you know what? Honestly, God put me here. God did this. Really, he's the, he's the one that did it. That's it. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise if you're starting to see the perspective of understanding. Christianity is perspective. Some of us here this morning, you got to change your perspective on things. Some of you have a person that is just in your life day after day after day after day. And you keep looking at them the same way, thinking eventually they're going to get theirs. That's a perspective we have a lot of times. Man, somebody's going to get them. Somebody's going to get them. Somebody's going to get them. Oh, man, I cannot wait. I can't wait. But somebody's going to get them. Watch. They're going to get them. They're going to get what they deserve. Right? And if we're honest, a lot of times we have that perspective. But just watch. Just watch. God's going to get them. God's going to get them. When you change your perspective, you know what's going to happen? God sent me to get them. God sent me to pray for them. God sent me to love on them. Do you see the perspective change? Somebody's going to get them. You are that somebody. It's you. You're the one. Somebody needs to go talk to them. That somebody is, is you. Listen, I believe with all my heart, this is how I'm concluding. I believe it with all my heart, and I've said this before, God is going to raise up men and women in this church that have businesses, that have ownership, that they're going to be millionaires. A lot of times when we talk about money, a lot of people get funny. I understand that because it's a very hard perspective because the world has beaten you down on a perspective of money so much that whenever you hear the word money, you just kind of veer from it. You put a do not disturb sign on there. Don't talk about money. Because that's our perspective. If we don't want to touch it, put a sign on it. I'm gone. Don't go there. But I believe, and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I believe that God doesn't want to just bring millionaires to our church. I believe God wants to grow millionaires in our church. I believe that's so. Now, for those of you that are saying, see, I knew it. I stood the whole service just so I could get the preacher. I knew it. Preacher, all I do is talk about money. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. What's funny is that you go to work, and guess what you go to work for? Money. All you deal with every day of your life is money. 
I think if there's any place that you should learn about money, it's in the church. So go, listen to me. We, we get all upset when preachers talk about money, but then when little Wayne says, make it rain, make it rain, you're like, yeah, we're going to make it rain over here. That's how we learn about money. With these rappers and millionaires and all these other Shark Tank people, that we, that's money. No, that's not really what money, how you obtain that. Now, they may have paper, but they don't have riches. They just don't. They may have some greens in a bank, but they don't have their treasures stored in heaven. I've learned that. So I say that because of this. And I, I say that with all honesty and with all integrity, believing that I know God wants to raise up millionaires. But listen to me. If God is going to raise up millionaires in this church, how are you doing with $100? How are you doing? See, see, some of you are waiting. You're still waiting. You're waiting. One day, one day, when I retire, when I retire, one day it's going to come. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to a scratcher and I'm going to get it. And I'm going to win a million dollars. Easy win easy lose. If you have not learned how to handle 100, 200, 1,000, 10,000, 50,000, or even 100,000, what makes you think you can hold on to a million? See, some of you right now, you have to start changing your perspective. Because if I gave you a million dollars, you know what the first thing on your mind is? How do I spend it? Right? Let's be honest. How do I spend it? Rather than the perspective of, okay, God gave me this money, what does he want me to do with it? How can I benefit the kingdom of God now I believe that God wants to benefit you even through your life now believe me don't give any money to the church if you ever become a millionaire and you think I just got to give it to somewhere I want to give it to a charity I'm going to be honest with you most pastors won't say it but I will don't give us any money I don't want your money like that because this is not a charity this is the kingdom of God there's a difference it's a big difference so if ever you come into finances and go you know what I'm a charity I'm just going to give them money I want you to know something more than likely we're not going to take it we're just, we're not going to take it because that, that's not, we don't do that here. We believe in the kingdom of God. So I believe that God wants to give you the finances so that it will benefit your life and those around you. The Bible says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. They always give generously. There's an overflow. In other words, when you benefit, then those around you benefit. Have you ever, have you ever uh, filled a coffee cup and by accident just kept filling it, kept filling it, kept filling it? Go, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. In other words, it didn't just go in the cup and went into the saucer. And then it didn't just go into the saucer, it went on the table. It went on the table. And even, there's one author in the Bible that said, oh, that I would just have the crumbs of the master's table. You know what that is? The overflow. Just give me a little bit. I'll just take a little bit. I'll just take just a crumb. See, and when you have an understanding and a perspective of who you are going after and who you're serving, then God says, okay, here's your million dollars. You, you know how to deal with it because you know exactly how to deal with crumbs, then let me give you the whole loaf because you know how to deal with that. I believe it's so that it's going to happen within many of our people here within our church, and I'm believing for it, but I'm, I'm believing that God is going to give you the right amount of finances within the season of where you're at. Moses kept working till his very last breath. Some of you, you're afraid. Saying, okay, I'm going to wait till this happens. I'm going to wait till I win the lottery. I'm going to wait till I get this. Or I'm going to wait till this happens. No, 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 no. Listen, my friend, don't wait. Move on it now. Go on it now. 
your promises, your songs, your dreams of tomorrow are being written by your struggles of today. You're in that struggle, in that trial for a purpose. You have a life of purpose. There is a purpose to what you're going through. You may not see it right now. It may not be the burning bush experience right in front of you right now. It may not be told to you right now. But the moment you just say, you know what? I'm going to give all my efforts and all my energy towards God. I want to give every breath that I have, every waking moment, even when I'm at my job, even when I'm with my family, even when I'm on the streets, even when I'm at the store, even when I'm eating. God, I want everything that I do to benefit your life. I know I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. I've messed up in the past. I'm not the perfect candidate that you can use to be a leader. I, I, I st 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 stutter sometimes. I, I, I have a, a speech impediment or I have a disease inside of me that is killing me every single minute of my life. It doesn't seem like I'm going to make it till tomorrow. But every breath that I have, I want to give it to you, God. Everything that I am, all my being, I wanted to serve you. I wanted to love you. I wanted to work for you God everything a perfect workmanship unto God Moses until his last breath 120 years old climbed a 4,500 foot mountain but on the last moments he knew it here I am just me and God I came in me and God and I'm leaving me and God here this morning as we've seen Iron Man as David, as we've seen Spider-Man as Joseph, now Captain America, if you will, as uh, Moses. Here this morning, there's some characteristics in there that I know some of you here said, man, I messed up in the past. I could never make it. I could never do it. And so that's why some of you right now, you're in that state of the desert. You're in this desert state. And I want you to know something. God knows exactly what he's doing with you in the desert. So we are right now going through what seems like plagues, even plagues over your body, boils, headaches, different things with your feet, arthritis, thinking I'm never going to get through this. I want you to know something. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Sometimes we don't understand fully everything. Why would this happen? Why can't just God take everybody and just move on out? Why has there got to be plagues? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to feel like this? Why does it have to happen to me? Why, why, why? And listen, I want you to know something. I shared this last week. As a preacher, I don't have every answer. I don't know every answer. I, I just don't. But I know that as I keep coming and I start to understand the season, I can look back in the wisdom of Moses like he did and understand everything that I went through. The Bible says that he looked all the way around and he saw the promised land. From Gilead to Dan to Zoar. Saw it all. He saw the promise. And then he saw the promise maker, his Savior. Here this morning, I want to give you that opportunity to say, you know what? I know I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together, but I'm the perfect candidate for God to use. I want to be secure in my death in knowing that, hey, God could take me at any time, but any time he wants to do it, it's God's plan. It's not my plan, it's his plan. Some of you got to stop worrying about, what am I going to go? What am, what am I going to die? I just, and even some of you might even have those feelings. I just feel like dying. God says, no, it's not your time yet. I need you to live for me. I don't want you to die for me until you live for me. Some of you here this morning, you got to get that in your spirit. Understand that. Some of you should have died already. You know who you are. 
probably have marks and scars to show it that you should be dead. But you're not. There's a purpose for that. I want everyone to stand with me here this morning. Your promises of tomorrow are being written by your struggle of today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As the team prepares to sing a song here this morning, listen, if this is you here and you say, you know what? I know about the life of Moses, but I want to be secure like him. I want to keep going into my very last breath. Some of you right now, God's moving and ministering even in your heart right now. He's moving in your heart even right now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The veterans of the faith, the veterans of the faith, even right now. Hallelujah. As they begin to sing this song, if that's you here this morning and you say, you know what, I, I just want to keep going. I want to keep working for God. I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing. I don't want to put a sign over here. I don't want people to look at me and say, don't disturb me. But no, that they can move with me. We can work together. We can inherit the promise together. We can do this together. Whether I'm up there in age or whether I'm young in age, I want to be able to move for God. That wherever God tells me to move, if that's you, I want you to slip out of your seat right now.